even before when I first started, I definitely had, I guess, essentially like a mission in mind that I wanted to share my art, share my story, talk about things that are important to me, and then also kind of give a voice for the South Asian community and women and people of color. Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to Brown People We Know, an interview podcast about the South Asian American experience. My guest this week is Manasi Arya, an artist on Etsy with just shy of a thousand sales since her opening in 2018. Manasi's art caught my eye because her store includes paintings and stickers of jalebi and iced coffee, curly hair, mendi, saris, elephants, and the phrase brown is beautiful. Everything from thumbs up bottles to Taco Bell hot sauce packets. Obviously, I love the fire and Diablo ones. It's a great reflection of the South Asian American experience. We talk about her mom who kicked off Monesty's own art career, about marketing her Etsy business and whether having a business has affected the way and what art she chooses to make. She also told me why her account is art with Monesty instead of art by Monesty, a small but intentional word choice that I thought was pretty cool. Artist is just her night shift. During the day, Manasi is also a teacher and a graduate student. She's a member of the Teach for America program, teaching special education at an Indiana charter school. As a part of her program, she's also pursuing her master's in teaching and special education at Marion University. She shared a few stories about her students, and we talked about how she uses her South Asian identity to relate to her students. Let's dive in. Manasi Arya. Welcome to Brown People We Know. When I was younger, my dad managed a convenience store. And I have lots of fond memories of that because I used to be able to just walk in the store and grab like whatever candy bars I wanted. I know that your mom was an artist and I don't know if she was a career artist, but that seems like it could be fun. Yeah, you know, my dad also owned an Indian convenience store when I was growing up. So I also grabbed whatever I wanted, including like mango juice and the Indian candies and stuff like that. So that's really funny that <laughs> that's like a weird coincidence. But yeah, my my mom isn't like a professional artist, but she is definitely at that level. She does a lot of art with the Indian society and with the temple. But growing up, she would paint all the time. And so she like would make me sit next to her and she would yell at me and make me draw. And she would like draw a little bit in pencil, then make me write on it with pen. And I hated it because then I would cry every 10 seconds and then I would come back and do it. But yeah, I, I definitely think that my childhood was very unique because of that. I was imagining like paintings around the house and just like a lady singing and painting. It was very Disney in my head. There is paintings around the house. All of it is hers. And it's definitely not Disney. It was definitely not like a fairy tale because there was a lot of yelling because she made me, she wanted me to be an artist. And so, yeah. That sounds like boot camp. (laughs) She was training you early. Wait, since you mentioned Indian candies, green or purple hajmalas? I have no idea what that is. Wait, you've never had hajmala? No. You're the second person that I've met. Okay. They're like little Indian hard candies. What was your go-to? You know, I don't know what they're called, but they were like, they were like jello. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. They were like lychee jello situation. Did you have arrow? No. Arrow chocolate? No. No. The Jello. 
That was the candy. And then there was like another one that was like like a jello material, kind of, but it had like powder on the. Hmm. I don't know. We we must have been in like two different. I don't like maybe it's like a North Indian, South Indian snack deal. <laughs> I'm South Indian though. I am too, but I'm just saying maybe one of the stores had like North Indian candy. I really don't even know if they were Indian sweets now that I think of it. Like what if they were just sweets in general? That's very true. Anyway, so before we dive into your claim to fame, which is okay. art, right? <laughs> art with Matsi. I want to step back and kind of talk about, I guess you could call it maybe your, your first career, which is as a teacher. You're a TFA alum, actually the second one on the show. I'm in TFA right now. Oh, you are? Okay. Yes. So you're a special ed teacher by day. And on top of that, because that probably wasn't enough work, you also decided to do grad school by night. It's required through TFA. Okay. So I'm kind of curious about the special ed focus, though, whether that was intentional or whether that was something that the program put you through. Mm -hmm. They don't give you a choice. So I was placed as a special education teacher, but I had the choice to not do it and then just to be regular elementary. But I wanted to. I thought it was like a great fit. And I didn't even know that was an option when I started applying. But I think a lot of the things that I had done previously kind of led me to being placed in special education because I took American Sign Language as my language course in undergrad. And then I was also a psychology major. So I think they kind of were like, oh, you would be perfect for SPED. And it worked out because I, I absolutely love it. Nice. I didn't know SPED was an acronym. Learning something already. <laughs> yeah. So can you talk to me about what that looks like? So are you working with a classroom? Is it like a single student? No. So I just have like a caseload of students and a lot of the students with disabilities are in the gen ed setting, general education setting, which is really important for them anyway. So I have a caseload and I have their goals and I work with them on their goals. So it's nice because I can have my own schedule, like whatever I want based on the gen ed and what they're doing, but I don't have my own classroom or even an office or anything like that. Yeah, a little more flexibility in what you're teaching. Yeah, there's pros and cons to that because I really do wish I had my own classroom. I would love to decorate the crap out of it and do all those like, you know, little projects with my students. But I love this too. I love being able to have my own schedule and every day is different, which makes it exciting. So with grad school, are you specializing in special ed then or is it more broad? Yeah, it's a degree in special education. One of the things I wanted to ask you about is that there can be a lot of stigma around these types of things, right? More particularly around the students than being a teacher. I'm kind of curious if you've encountered that at all, particularly in the South Asian community, maybe from your parents or others. Yeah, so I did Teach for America as like essentially like a gap year. It's not a gap year at all, but that was my idea when I went into it. And so my parents were very supportive anyway, because they thought that this was temporary in a way. It's not. I love it. So I would love to continue and stay in education. That was like an adjustment for my parents anyway. And from them, I get a lot of support. So I don't really care about anybody else except for them. But yeah, being a teacher, especially a special education teacher is not very common in the South Asian community. And a lot of people were very confused on why I was doing Teach for America. But knowing that a lot of people do Teach for America as a gap year, nobody questioned me. And then especially now with quarantine, I don't get to see any of the Indian aunties and uncles. 
So I haven't had the chance to get hate from them. And that's totally fine with me. I spoke to Vasu Sojitra on a previous episode. He's a North Face athlete. He's also an amputee. Pretty crazy combination. And he works with basically students that are disabled, right? And Mm -hmm. getting them outdoors, getting them active. And one of the questions that I had for him that I also have for you is, when you're working with a student that maybe feels whatever reason they're in special ed for is holding them back or they feel like something's not possible for them. So how do you go about that, about empowering them and making them believe things are possible? With students in elementary school, we don't really necessarily say that they're special education students at my school. And I think that's kind of important because there's nothing wrong with being a student in special education and saying that They can get kind of embarrassed or they don't want to be pulled out from class. They like being taken out of class and working with me. And I think that that just gives them a different environment and more attention too. I think that that's important for a student as well. So I haven't really seen students make fun of each other because of that, because there's not a lot of situations where they know that they're in special education. But in terms of like empowering them, I think that there has been a lot of situations where they they doubt themselves a lot. They feel sad that they can't understand something when they probably can if they tried a little harder. And so I try talking to them. I give them examples of things that they're good at and things that they need to work on. A lot of students with maybe more emotional needs, they always feel like they're different. And I always say that I'm different and I'm the only South Asian Indian person at the school which makes me very different. And I tell them that all the time. I tell them that my parents are from India and a lot of them feel really excited about it. And I I told one of my students that last year and he's not my student anymore, but he stopped me this year and was like, your parents are still from India, right? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, it, I, that doesn't change. But yeah, thank you for remembering. So it's nice to be able to kind of share my story that I'm different in the school. And they feel excited to work with me knowing that like I'm different too. Super cool because the conversation with Vasu really made me think about like intersectionality and there's a little bit of overlap. Like maybe the student was different in a different way, but you're able to relate to them on the fact that you're different, which is, I think, kind of inspiring in a way. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Do you have any other like anecdotes, favorite students that you've had to work with? I think it's a, like you said, it's a very unique path for South Asians. And I'm sure like other people are curious about it as well. My students make me laugh. It's, they are so strange and so funny to me. And they always say the most bizarre things to me. One of my students last year was really mad at me because I had him, I had him do more assignments than he needed to. And he's very, very intelligent for his grade. And he got really mad at me for making him do that. Since it was my first year teaching last year, I was really excited to get those pictures from picture day. And it was like I was on the other side, like I was a teacher instead of the student. And so I gave one of them to all of the people in the SPED team. And he took that, the student took it and he was so mad at me. He like ripped up my picture and like stapled it. And he loves me though. So it was like so funny. And I I like saw that and couldn't stop laughing. And then he was like, why are you, I thought you would be mad at me. And I was like, no, this is, this is just your way of getting back at me because I made you do more assignments and that's fine. And then after that, he was like, oh, okay. And he just wasn't mean to me anymore. (laughs) Definitely wasn't expecting that reaction from you. No, it it was so funny. So I used to work with kids as well. Everything they do, they always, 
they're watching for a reaction. I had a, a student once I was throwing a paper airplane around and I told him to stop. And he's, he's standing in this hallway later in the night. He throws a paper airplane. I kid you not. I don't know how this happened. It goes, it goes forward. It goes around a corner and just hits his brother in the head. And this kid <laughs> sees it hit his brother. And he looks at me. And now I'm like stuck because I'm like trying not to laugh because I got to look serious, right? But right. Yeah, I couldn't help it. <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing? Like, what were you doing working with kids? Yeah, so I worked at a nonprofit in Chicago called Touring Chicago. So I actually used to be a volunteer for them. Awesome. And ended up leaving healthcare to work in nonprofit sector. So it was fun. Oh, wow. That's awesome. You're in, you're, you're doing grad school too, right? I am. Yeah. So when I started my MBA, I thought I'd go back into nonprofits. That has changed since then. <laughs> I'm going into consulting now for mergers and acquisitions. I don't know if it's really comparable, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was going to say, but, <laughs> yeah. but cool. still finding ways to, to have an impact. Right. So I think that's like a common theme across episodes now is careers don't have to be just one thing. Yeah. I, I noticed that when I was looking up your podcast, like the d- different types of people that you have as guests, I saw like kind of like a theme, you know? I think those are the people that tend to be interesting to me. A while ago, I was learning Japanese or I just like kind of started. And my dad walked up to me one day and he said, why are you learning Japanese? You should be learning Hindi. And my response to him was just, there's nothing interesting about an Indian person that speaks Hindi. I tend to be interested in people that do multiple things, which is a perfect transition. I want to talk more about art with Monsi now. From what I've heard when quarantine hit, that was kind of the origin of art with Monsi. Is this something that you had been curious about and now you just have the time between grad school and your <laughs> full-time job? Or was it more like I was bored and I was just looking for a project? During quarantine, I finally had the time to finish all the projects that I've been wanting to and I put off. One of them being painting denim jackets. And I posted a few and then I just posted a random random art pieces that I just started having time to do. And then I realized that this is something a lot more exciting than I've been making it. And I've had this Instagram for a while and I would post random things that I had done over the years, but I, I guess I just never, I guess I never knew if people would like it. And I didn't know if I wanted to share my story. I didn't know how to write captions. I didn't know what my purpose was and what kind of community I wanted to be part of. And so then I just started posting more. And then I got a lot of orders essentially for like my line drawings of self-portraits. And then I kind of saw like, oh, whoa, this is like a, like a business side of this. I didn't even know that I could do that through Instagram. And so then I just started posting more, got more orders. And then I was like, I need to make a logo. And I had this distinct thing in my mind that I wanted to make this particular logo, but like I didn't have the equipment. I didn't have an iPad or anything to do like digital art. So then my parents were like, just buy an iPad, like whatever, like you, you've been wanting to do this. this. It'll be good for you anyway, and great for your mental health. And that's just kind of how it started. And I think digital art really changed the game for me. And I got a lot more attention through that. Yeah. So talk to me about that transition, because I think digital art, it still hasn't quite taken off. You see a lot of wine and painting nights, but you don't see like wine and procreate or that type of thing. Was it hard to learn initially? Did it feel unfamiliar? 
I think that digital art is a lot easier than people think. And especially since I did traditional art and I did all those charcoal color pencil art classes, I definitely knew how to take it from all of that to digital art. But I think what makes it really difficult is the technology of it. There's so much, so many different aspects that you need to like truly take the time. So I experimented a lot with my family and my friends' portraits. And through that, like I started just getting used to it, practice a lot more. And obviously time and practice makes you so much better in anything. And I think that that's what happened for me. And then I just started creating things that I've been wanting to talk about and random stuff that I like got inspiration from that would be difficult creating in like a painting or something because it just takes so long. And so then, yeah, that's kind of like how it started. There's a tactile element to like being able to pick up a brush. Do you miss that? Do you miss traditional art? Do you still find time to do both? Yeah, yeah. I I definitely make time to do both because I think it's different picking up a brush and picking up paint from it and like painting than it is with digital art. And so I definitely do that because I, I love painting on denim jackets. So I do a lot of that and I've gotten a few orders for that right now that I like have to do. So I still make the time to paint. So you had mentioned that your first few drawings that you had posted to Instagram were these line drawings. It seems like at that time you were posting maybe what you were creating and there wasn't really like an art with Monsi brand at that time, right? Yeah. But what does that brand represent or mean now? Yeah, I mean, even before when I first started, I definitely had, I guess, essentially like a mission in mind that I wanted to share my art, share my story talk about things that are important to me, and then also kind of give a voice for the South Asian community and women and people of color. So that that still stood at that time too. But I think in the middle, I definitely just started posting random things that a lot of my mission and like what I was doing kind of went away. And I tried bringing that into like captions, just like talking about my story, talking about being Desi and doing all of that. But with digital art, it became so much easier to create something that was representative of what I wanted my brand to stand for a few years ago. And that's kind of getting to what I really wanted to dive into, which is what makes your art interesting for me. And I think what made it succeed so much is that you've kind of hit on this South Asian niche, right? So your stickers have said brown is beautiful. There's a lot of Mandy saris in your stickers. I know you kind of had that mission in mind, but A, I guess, was it intentional from the beginning? And B, did you find that as you were getting a response to it, it made you want to double down more and kind of dive further into that niche? Yes and no. I'm a huge fan of fashion. I love fashion regardless of what kind. So I definitely love Daisy fashion. And my mom and I design Daisy fashion. That's what I wear to like weddings and stuff like that. So being able to draw that digitally was like something that I wanted to do anyway. It was like part of who I am. I love really big Daisy earrings and things like that. So I started posting things that were kind of around that and I did get a response to it. But I think I got more of a response when I talked about more deeper things. Like when I really got a huge transition change was when I posted this image of where do your clothes come from? And a lot of people had a really positive response to that because they were like, this is not something that people generally talk about. And because I love fashion so much, I wanted to talk about that. And 
that's kind of like where I started to with wanting to create more things that I knew that I had a voice for because I wasn't really confident about before. But I wanted to stick with why I was doing this. And I stayed with doing the things that I like fashion, drawing earrings, and also talking about South Asian community, women, things of that sort. So you mentioned discovering this kind of business component to it. Do you feel like having the shop has influenced how or what you're creating with your art? And that might even just be in the form of the medium, right? Because digital art is more scalable than, let's say, picking up a paintbrush. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think this like business thing kind of happened on accident. I wasn't intending on that at all because it was just some a place for me to just share my art, which is what I wanted before. But then I started getting that positive response. And then even when I first opened my Etsy shop, it, it wasn't digital art or anything like that. I, I didn't even know how to sell my prints. That was kind of where it was at. I didn't know how to price them. I didn't even know if I wanted to. But once I started saying that I was going to sell prints, I started getting such a positive response that I was like, I don't even realize that people wanted to buy this. I'll totally sell this stuff. Sure. And then I wanted to kind of get into doing stickers because, again, a lot of people started asking me. And then I was like, that's a really great idea. Why not? And so then even with that, I didn't know where to start. I didn't know if I even wanted to. I didn't know where to purchase stickers. I didn't want to make them because I don't have the time. So from that, I just started creating more things. And then some people request for me to make stickers. And so a lot of like the launch that I just had on Sunday, a lot of them were kind of pieces that I had already created that I just turned into stickers because people started asking me and it like kind of became a collection. But I never really intended to create something for stickers. Like most of them are just prints or art that I want to share. Congrats on the launch, by the way. Thanks. Super exciting. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Do you have a favorite from the new line? Oh, um, the coffee one. I'm obsessed with iced coffee. So th that one. I am like completely enamored with Thumbs Up. Oh, yeah. And it's so hard to find these days. Oh, I know. <laughs> so it's so expensive here. They have like a Thumbs Up can now. And it's very upsetting because it doesn't taste the same. What? Oh, my God. You like the bottle? Have you had it? Yeah, I did. I had it in India. I had the can in India. Well, I got it from some Indian store here and it was just, it didn't feel, maybe it was just the nostalgia of the glass bottle, right? When I was younger and we would go to Yvon Street or Gerard Street, like one of the Indian streets, my parents would buy me one of those and then they'd spend an hour in some gold shop. So I would just be standing there with a glass bottle, blowing it to it, like playing music. Yeah. So everything you were talking about before kind of gets into my next question, which is actually something I've been thinking about a lot with the podcast. I love podcasting. I see it as my art, researching the guests, writing the questions. All yeah, yeah, absolutely. One of the things that has been interesting, but also frustrating at the same time is that aside from creating the podcast, I then have to go market it. Creating your art and marketing, do they feel like separate activities to you or do they feel like the same part of this whole project? That definitely took me a long time to adjust to because I didn't even know how to do that. But I think TikTok really helps with marketing because it's really easy to go viral. Not really for me because I haven't really gone viral, but like it, it is more simple than posting on Instagram. Random people from anywhere follow you and find you and numbers aren't as prominent in TikTok. So I think that that really, really helps. But I think it kind of just goes with like some of my art that if I know that I'm, I'm going to sell a print of it, like I'll just add that to the caption. There 
is Facebook shops that you can connect to Instagram, which I didn't even know until literally last week. And so I started adding to it. And I think that helps as well. So it's just started to like kind of be hand in hand now. And it's a lot easier to market my stuff now than it was when I first started, because I think people know that I'm more of a brand and art shop now. So that's a lot easier. But yeah, I I still don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) It sounds like over time, they've kind of come together. Do you enjoy it? Do you enjoy the marketing aspect? Or does it feel like a necessary evil? I do like it. I I do like making TikToks. It doesn't feel like a burden to me. And even just posting random things for Instagram, because I have this established brand in my mind for this art shop, for this art page, I post a lot more. And I like it because I, I get to kind of share my story. There's a reason behind the illustration, whether I'm teaching somebody else how to do some sort of art or why I did it. There are always a few people that really resonate with what I say, and I appreciate that. I like being able to say what I want to say, and I think posting is part of the marketing. But I don't think it's really a burden. And if I feel like it is that day, that day I just won't post anything. And that's okay. Yeah, that makes sense. It was really interesting because as I was scrolling through your page, I was just thinking, drawing something on Procreate and then creating a video on TikTok It's interesting because you're working in two different mediums. The other thing I was wondering about with your TikTok, a lot of your content is not necessarily about the art itself. It's about creating a sticker business. So talking about like adding Etsy listings or adding a QR code to your business card. You have other tutorials on how to create some of the art that you're doing. I'm curious how you're thinking through your content and why you decided to go for those as opposed to things maybe that straight up featured the art? A few years ago, when I made this art account, I purposely did art with Monacy and not like art by Monacy. And I I had the intention of wanting to kind of talk about why I was doing this and how you can do it too. And I, I did post like random things like that when I first started too, but it was mostly in the captions and not really part of like the video or anything. But with TikTok, it was so simple to just show your process be like, this is the first step. I'm like, I'm it's like blank canvas and next to next. It was so much easier to create a video than like posting that on Instagram. And so I think I started with the true art with Monacy on TikTok first. And then when I realized like, why wasn't I doing that on Instagram? And then Reels started becoming really popular on Instagram that I started posting that too. And then I got a lot of excitement from other people because I was posting that, because a lot of artists don't do that. And I I wanted to. That was like my whole intention of why I was with Monacy anyway. That's when I started trying to incorporate a lot of that into my Instagram as well. And then for my TikTok, I kind of just like post the most random things also, because I don't have a personal TikTok. It's just art with Monacy is the personal TikTok. And so I just post whatever I want. And TikTok is really nice that you don't have to have a pretty feed. You don't have to have things that are nice. You can post 60 times a day or you can post one and it's totally okay. So that's why TikTok is like really, really random, but like Instagram is a little bit more purposeful. That is really cool though. I know Hamel Patel and a lot of other influencers, they do like behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. And even though I know that I won't be starting a sticker business, it (laughs) it is interesting for me to see your behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And I've also, I've tried to follow along with some of your art tutorials. And then I realized that 
I'm just not good. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm like, let yeah. me just buy one of her sneakers instead. <laughs> Thank you, by <laughs> so, the way. Yeah, for sure. Also, like, there are when I first started, I tried to understand like how I could do it too. And a lot of people, when they were making stickers, they bought a Cricut and they bought all of these things in the intention of making stickers. And I just really didn't have the time to dedicate for that. And so when I, it was like a lot of trial and error for me. And I got lucky with like certain things working out that I was like, I might as well tell other people that too. And a lot of people have messaged me saying, thank you, because I had no idea how to start and now I'm going to do it. And I was like, that's awesome. Like, good for you. And so I'm glad that it's helpful because it's never my intention to like be competitive. So. And I don't think that comes across at all. I mean, in fact, more recently, you've been doing this huge push for small businesses, right? And featuring a lot of different small businesses. I think it goes back to what you were saying about your brand is built on, yes, like the South Asian elements in your art, but it's not just the elements in your art, it's also the story and the connection in the community. Mm-hmm. Aside from art, how else do you retain your Indian culture? Through fashion, for sure. I always wear Desi earrings or necklaces. I wear anklets every single day. Like I have these like traditional silver South Indian (laughs) anklets on every day. And I think that that's just a great reminder of who I am and like where I come from. But then also in college, I was on a dance team, a Ross dance team, which was really nice. And I was a dance, I was a Catholic dancer too for years. And so I think a lot of that kind of made me more okay with being Indian too, embracing that too. So Have you always embraced it or have you had difficulty at times? I started embracing it when I was in college. I did not have many Indian friends in high school. And the town that I came from, I was the only Indian person in my high school. And it was like two different lives. Like I was a classical Indian dancer. So like I would train for that. And then I would do all these performances in the weekend and dress up and stuff. But then like, I felt like a completely like different person going to school with people that just didn't really understand where I was from. Then I went to college. I met amazing people. And then I joined a dance team. And then I met all these people that were exactly like me. And they are still my best friends. Like I met them in college. And five years later, I'm still best friends with them. And that was just kind of what helped me embrace being Indian because I knew that there were other people like me and they loved it too. So... I have just a couple more questions here. So my last episode was actually with Sravya, who she's a model, a chemical engineer, and an entrepreneur. Seems like three very different things, but she tied them together with a cosmetics company. So she founded her own cosmetics company. When you think about education and this art thing, do you see them blending together? Yeah, I definitely want to make a series on how to either paint certain things or even just do digital art. Like I already have this thing. My project for Christmas break is to film videos on how to do Procreate and like what your intention should be and like what you could do next with the digital art. And so definitely kind of like educating others on not only important topics that are really important in the South Asian community, but also art stuff, like how to even do art. So you just mentioned that you met other Indian people in college that helped you connect with your culture or your ancestry. Earlier, you had mentioned that Indiana doesn't have a lot of Indian people. Long run, do you see yourself staying in Indiana? I think Indiana actually does have a lot of Indian people. I just didn't have them in my town. 
And I want to stay in Indiana because I want to be close to my parents, but also I'm down to not be here anymore. I like the Midwest. I think the Midwest is very underrated. I think people don't realize that it's simple and cute sometimes. So I wouldn't mind staying here, but definitely would love to move to New York one day or, you know, something like that. So Monacy, where can people find you? On Instagram at Art with Monacy or TikTok too at Art with Monacy and Etsy. I know you mentioned you have some denim jackets to paint. I'm sure you also have some homework or whatnot. Yes. Uh, So I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. This is awesome. This is great having you on. Hey, it's Suraj. I just want to stop and take a moment to say thank you for reaching the end of the episode. My goal with this podcast is to build a sense of community. I want South Asian Americans to know that they're not alone in their experience because many of us didn't grow up around other South Asian Americans. I also wanna make sure that we know that anything is possible. And to do that, I'm gonna expose us to all the random, non-traditional, really cool things that other South Asian Americans are doing. If you found this podcast entertaining, please, 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 Share with a friend, leave us five stars on your favorite app, or spread the word. It'll help us reach more people and build the community. Thank you. Talk to you soon.